Welcome to Grappling Real. I'm your host, Chris Parker, and uh, today I have an awesome friend of mine. It's uh, Halim Saeed, uh, PhD and a brown belt in not only judo, but a brown belt in jiu-jitsu as well at Jimmy Pedro's Judo Center and Travis Stevens' Fuji Gym. Welcome to the show, Halim. Hey, Chris. Good to be here. And uh, before I start, congratulations on World Masters Championship. You did phenomenally, and uh, we couldn't have been happier uh, cheering for you on the sides of the mat. So congratulations on uh, becoming a world champion. Thank you, brother. Yeah. I, I, I did get uh, a little emotional when I was there. Like, I'm used to, you know, I was prepared to compete by myself, and I, I looked up, and I saw a whole group of people there, you know, by my side. I was like... Wow, man, this is like, I feel like a part of a family. And I, you I had the whole community that. there. You had your uh, friends from Yamasaki. You had uh, Travis there. Yep. You know, all your friends were out there. Frosty was there. It was it was good to be there. Man. Yeah, it's thanks. Fun. And i tell you what, that, that did give me uh, extra, uh, it was an extra level of empowerment for sure, man. You guys made me feel really special and, and uh, I appreciate that support. Awesome. Thank man. you. Congrats again. Yeah. Okay, so, uh, you know, we talked a lot about, you know, grappling in the past and, you know, we got into a little bit of your history and uh, you started out of wrestling, jujitsu and judo. You've done all three, which is, you know, an awesome, that's what I'm, that's what I took judo for because I did wrestling and jujitsu, but I never had the judo. So I'm trying to be a well-rounded grappler and uh, it's not often I meet somebody else that has been a part of all three styles of the grappling martial arts. So uh, which style did you get into first and how did you get involved with that? That's uh, a good question. Um, many people who know me do not know that I wrestled and there's a reason for it. And um, <laughs> uh, the reason is I wrestled for two seasons at my uh, undergraduate school and I literally was the punching bag for the team. <laughs> what, what school was that? So I went to RIT for, uh, for my bachelor's degree in electrical engineering. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. um, in my first year, I remember I was walking back to my dorms and I, I noticed there's you know, a crowd gathered like in the gymnasium and uh, it, was, it was a wrestling meet. So I, I walked in and I saw it was RIT versus Ethica and our team was doing horribly. Like RIT, was, RIT wrestlers were getting destroyed and so I, I walked in, I was watching the matches, and I was thinking, you know what, why are these guys losing so badly? Like, wrestling is not that hard. <laughs> <laughs> so I, at the end of the event, I walk up to the coach, and you know, I said, hey coach, I, I want to join the team. And um, coach immediately takes two steps back, and he looks at me, and he's like, have you wrestled before? I said, um, no, um, I can make my roommates say uncle. You know, I can beat up my roommates. And he's, he's like, well, you better stick to those books you have in your hand. You know, I was calculating calculus and physics books in my hand. <laughs> um, I battered him enough. I uh, kept showing up and uh, he was, you know, really annoyed. He wanted to get rid of me. And he said, you know what, we'll, we'll give you a shot. And there was an open spot at um, 174 pounds. So, you know, next thing you know, I get thrown into this mix, I think within a month of training. I've, and I'm out there and all I can remember is it was the same gymnasium the crowd is like you're ready for the match and the ref says shake hands so I walk up and I shake hands with my opponent and you know how when you shake hands with somebody you can feel their strength yes absolutely I'm like holy smokes this guy's strong and then you know I, I grasped the gravity of the, of the full situation the guy looked twice my size I was like are you sure this guy's 174 pounds <laughs> And um, I have, like all these thoughts and doubts rushing through my head in the middle of all this, referee blows the whistle. The guy picks me up, slams me, and you know within ten seconds, <laughs> it was all done. That was my first wrestling experience. Um, but I managed to uh, continue to stay for uh, for two seasons and uh, learned a lot of valuable you know experience competing because we would you know when when it's active season, of course we drive to Oneida, uh, you know. Cornell, all of the close schools go and compete. Uh, I would mostly get beat up, but I learned a lot through the experience. So yeah, that was my, that's primarily the reason a lot of people don't know about it because that was my first exposure to grappling. 
um, I think it helped me a lot later on with with my jiu-jitsu. Yeah, so that was my introduction to wrestling at university. And when I finished my bachelor's degree, I got into grad school. I had a, a fellowship that covered um, my my master's and PhD. So I was able to like get a car, drive off campus, and I started doing jiu-jitsu at a local school called Synthesis Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And um, yeah, I you know I. Some, for some reason I gravitate towards grappling arts, I get hooked, you know, this thing engages me. And even though I sucked, you know, anybody on the wrestling team looked at my record, you know, I had like zero <laughs> wins. I actually had one win out of maybe 50 matches. And um, that win actually came from the guy didn't showing up, you know, so I just walked to the <laughs> it was mat. A forfeit. Yep, it was forfeit, <laughs> the ref raised my hand. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, man, I think my experience, although it sounds uh, ridiculous and lopsided. I'm, I'm sure a lot of people who started grappling arts, whether it's judo or Brazilian jiu-jitsu as a white belt, can can relate to that experience. You start knowing nothing, right? And, um, and the first the first few months is you know you're you're not in control of what's happening, and uh, sometimes you gotta just you know bite the bullet. And if you, if you love it enough, you stay, and you get to the place where you can actually handle yourself. You know you can defend. I think even though I wasn't winning. By the time I got to the second season of wrestling, I wasn't getting pinned for sure. I was getting to the point where I was able to defend shots. Like all of those are valuable skills that did not result in a full victory, but you know, uh, it's not visible to the naked eye or mm. not captured by a record. Mm. Um, yeah, so I did Brazilian Jiu Jitsu there at Synthesis Brazilian Jiu Jitsu for seven years. At the same time, I was I was going to school, finishing school. Um, my instructors there were. Casey Lamb, Colin Schrader, and Jason Goldwasser, um, who ran who ran the place, and uh, Casey Lamb actually just won the uh, Masters World Championship. So he's a, you know, he's an amazing guy. Couldn't be happier for uh, for him. So yeah, so Casey Lamb, uh, Colin Schrader, and Jason Goldwasser, the people from Synthesis BJJ. And once I finished school, I graduated. I moved to the Boston area, and. Uh, of course, had been a longtime fan of of, of uh, Jimmy Pedro, and then more recently watching the Olympics and seeing Travis. You know, now I'm at the Pedro's Judo Center and also the Fuji Gym that Travis runs. Awesome, man! And uh, you know, I just want to backpedal just a, a second. We ran into one of your uh, practice partners from wrestling at Judo Nationals, wasn't it? That is right. Um, can you tell us about that experience and why that was unique? Yes. My wrestling training... So the, earlier this year, just for, just for the listeners, we had uh, Judo Nationals and also in Vegas, and we're recording this right now <laughs> in uh, World, Champ- World Masters BJJ. Um, so Nationals happened in May, and I was competing at, at the Brown Belt Division, and I met Mensur, uh, no, Mansoor Farrell, who was one of my training partners at RIT. And uh, I remember him uniquely because the very first time I practiced with him, he had an interpreter with him and he was uh, blind and deaf. So he was legally blind and deaf. So his interpreter could communicate with him by of course signing into his hands. He would you know, basically reach out and so he would feel the sign language and understand what's being said. So of course, if you've, if you've seen any of the uh, the blind wrestling or judo matches you start in contact you know you start with both your hands in contact and uh, basically the referee or the coach taps both of you on the back and it's time to go so the first time I met him I'm like well you know poor kid you know I'm so I was I'm gonna be you know not that tough on this guy and as soon as the ref says go this guy basically mauled me <laughs> uh, picked me up slammed me had his way with me I'm like holy smokes and I'm not gonna be that easy on him but um, and so, yeah, Mansoor Farrell, he had a unique uh, influence on me in my, in my wrestling journey because at the end of my first season, I was done, you know, when you're losing so much and you're getting constantly smashed, you second guess yourself. You're right. like, why the hell right. am I doing this? Am I even cut out for this? And, and I was getting to the point where I was like, I'm not going to come back. And end of the season, right, up, right at the time where I'm like thinking all this, Mansoor walks up to me with his interpreter 
and signs to the interpreter. And the interpreter says, well, Mansur says, next year he's gonna drop down to your weight class to, to you know, so he's gonna co- actually compete with you, not just train with you. And I'm thinking, wow. You know, uh, one of the reasons both of us were paired together was, of course, we weren't the top performing wrestlers in the team. So we were kind of like a natural training partners. And here I am thinking, I'm, I'm going to quit. And here's this guy who is legally blind and deaf and has every reason on the planet to quit, who's telling me he's going to actually cut down to my weight category <laughs> and come and fight me. Um, I could not, in, in good grace or good conscience, quit in that instant because all my excuses seem to be just bullshit. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm, like, I'm healthy and you know, I can think I, you know, I really should make an effort. So he influenced me a lot in, in making me realize that sometimes our mind plays tricks on us and uh, makes us think we're not good enough or whatever the excuse is, you know, um, somebody else like Mansoor can come and shatter that for you. And of course, I, I returned the next season um, because of that little, little conversation. Yeah, and technically he said that he was going to kick your ass, right? Yes, yes. <laughs> and fast forward uh, nearly 10 years, now we meet him again in Judo Nationals where he won gold in his in his division, and awesome. and uh, yeah, and if you and if you you were there, mm-hmm. fortunately, I was yep. able to uh, to win my division as well. So it was it was an amazing closure to the story that started almost ten <laughs> years ago in a wrestling room. Right. Yeah, and I'd I'd love to get that picture. I, I took the picture of you two. Yes. And I'd love to get that and, and put the image on this episode maybe for that. Okay, and yeah, we'll we'll tag uh, we'll tag Mansoor in. There. Awesome, very yeah. cool. So, all right, you had this experience in wrestling, and yes. uh, you know, I identify you know with your experience at the beginning because as a freshman in high school, I started in eighth grade, so it was my second year wrestling. My job was not to get pinned, you know. So it's like that process of being humbled in a in a, a extremely technical sport that it takes uh you know being around it to really start to get it and understand it to uh to be effective in it you know so you then got into jujitsu and then started developing in that for seven years and then judo and uh you know where did that journey take you throughout you know, being a brown belt in judo and in jiu-jitsu uh, as far as coming back around and being able to teach what you've learned so far? That is a good question. So as far as chronology, I started with wrestling and, you know, for a brief time, two semesters is, is not that long, it seems, in the, in the grand scheme of things. And then I did Brazilian jiu-jitsu for seven years, where I was exclusively focused on learning you know, I was a guard player initially, and so yeah, so developed a lot of ground techniques, submissions, understanding of those things, and I knew I was lacking in um, strong stand-up skills. You know, being able to match. If I fought a Division One wrestler or uh, somebody who has done judo before, you know, I was at a disadvantage when I'm standing. Of course, I would you know rather pull guard and play there. But I, to be well-rounded, I wanted the ability to be able to stand on my feet and fight and be able to dictate where the fight takes place. So yeah, so past three years have been heavily focused on understanding that and trying to understand judo. Of course, uh, I'm blessed to be in one of the best places to make that happen, which is at uh, Jimmy Peters Academy. Definitely. Uh, yeah, I guess engaging in all three of those sports is a lot of commonalities and a lot of common themes. If you do one sport like seriously you bring a certain set of skills that are transferable to the other sport right if you have if you're a d1 wrestler you already understand a certain level of what does it take to take something that you don't know how do you drill it how do you incorporate it into yourself how do you train it to bring it to a point where it's real in sparring and in competition so it's not like if you're a d1 wrestler you're gonna come back and start jiu-jitsu you know completely as a as a new person so yeah so there's lessons that we learn um in each of these arts that are transferable to to the other arts and the learning process i would say is very similar in the sense that um, yeah you try and understand you know the different components that make the technique and you try and figure out how do i install this and make the, make these an instinct for me mm-hmm. and, and try to develop an understanding of when that's applicable 
and all of those things. And something my coach always said, he was like, you know, aside from technique, like character development was the most important thing. And I feel like all these one-on-one sports, you know, wrestling, jiu-jitsu, judo, all uh, have that same process of development, you know, have that uh, same pressure, that same stress, that same one-on-one strategy, you know, and it's uh, something when you understand one, you have a, a good sense about the other two and that approach. It's just a process of learning the technique and how to apply those different skills. Right. You know. So uh, to, to expand on that, um, to a civilian who has not done wrestling, judo, jiu-jitsu, or they're not engaged in a, in a grueling activity, um, you know, of, of this stuff you learn, for example, in wrestling, I remember one of my first or second week, I had jammed my thumb in the process of wrestling and before practice I all the wrestlers are you know sitting with their backs against the wall before practice starts it was just chatting I walk up to the coach and I say hey coach uh, I don't think I can I can practice today he's like well what, what happened and I said I jammed my thumb and I showed him my hand and like I literally like if I pressed it it was painful for me I'm not gonna practice today I'm hurt <laughs> <laughs> he's oh he says oh um, he turns around to the people sitting on the wall and he goes, anybody here have any injuries? And almost everybody <laughs> freaking raised their hand. And he goes, what's wrong with you? And, uh, you know, he names out some injury that makes my injury look like nothing. And he goes down the line, four or five people, they say, you know, he, this guy has a pulled hamstring. This guy has, <laughs> you know, something hurt. His knee is, you know, swollen. And he and coach goes, and all of you are still here to practice today? And they look at him like, uh, yes. And then he turns towards me. <laughs> I'm like, all right, coach, I get it. <laughs> so, yeah, things like that, right? Like, you start learning what matters, what doesn't matter, right? Uh, yeah, and if, you've, of course, you've been at the Peter's Judo Center and you know what Travis says is you know do do you need to see a doctor now if you do go see a doctor if not you you going to practice you going to join practice so finding that line of when are you really hurt versus when things are small and menial and you can still continue to practice right yeah and you learn that and that doesn't go away right a lot right. of that wrestling slowly continue that in jiu-jitsu and of course that carries over yeah, my, my wrestling coach always said there was like a difference between like a little hurt and a big hurt and there was like basically that balance between something that you can get by and still practice right. and then something that, you know, isn't a true injury, right. you know, that you need medical attention for. Right. So, uh, and, and, and I mean, you know, we're not advocating that people who are right. injured to continue to injure themselves more, but generally when you haven't been in the system or haven't had this experience, your bar is very low. Anything right. happens, you're gonna be like, I'm not gonna practice today. <laughs> yeah. Right. Where and nine out of ten times, you would have been fine. Yeah. If you and you would have probably found a way to work around it. So. Yeah. And uh, I'm listening to an audiobook by uh, David Goggins right now, and I mean anybody who knows his story, you know, doing uh, completing Hell Week with shin splints and just, you know, broken knee and just like crazy things, you know. Yeah. And he, he emphasizes the mental toughness he developed from it. And again, we're not advocating, you know, practicing with major injuries, but uh, overcoming the minor ones that might give you uh, excuses in other areas of your life to take the easy way out. You know, that's what we're talking about, um, working through, you know. So uh, you teach um, at Fuji Gym on a regular basis, and uh, I'm... taken numerous classes from you and uh, I, I think you're a phenomenal teacher uh, and thank you the way you break things down you're very analytical very purposeful intentional and you have a, a solid system uh, to teach what you know in a way where other people understand it which I think is a skill that uh, not a lot of coaches have but I think should you know not to down anybody else. I just, I think, you know, someone that's gone through wrestling, jujitsu, and judo from the beginning up, you've understand and recognize the importance of developing a strong foundation and uh, how to teach that. And I was hoping you could talk a little bit more about that. Uh, absolutely. 
Yeah, so I have been uh, fortunate, again, to have an opportunity to teach. Because when you teach, you get better. Right, uh, right. To teach uh, the fundamentals program uh, at Fuji Gym uh, with Travis. Of course, Travis designed the fundamentals program. So I am a communicator of the content of those programs during the classes. And I think that is an, a, a very crucial task as a coach. Jiu-Jitsu and Judo and wrestling is hard in itself. Right, like yeah, no it doubt. Is, and and if you, if we are as as instructors are unable to communicate it as clearly as possible to the student, we we have created an additional barrier. Right, jujitsu is hard, and this person is here trying to understand it, and we have created an additional barrier by not being as clear as we could be. So I did initially when Travis asked me, uh, you know, I was a little hesitant to say yes, of course, because it's a big responsibility. And if I do take it on, I want to do a good job. Right. So it, it took me a couple of days and I, before I said yes, um, primarily because I wanted to make sure if I take this on, I want to be able to do justice to it. Right. right? And yeah, so I've, I do you know a few small things that help me make the classes smooth. And one of them uh, is, and, and, and I've seen other good instructors do this, and I probably stole it from them. And the, this is this idea of when you start a class and you're do, making people do warm-ups, if you have a certain uh, set of techniques that you're going to teach, you try to look at those techniques and say, what are the key movements that, that occur in these techniques, right? It could be you're teaching people to do a long step pass. You know, a small part of that is being able to take a good back step with people, you know, keeping their chest down and, you know, having their legs in the right place and having a good base. We could do that as a warm-up drill, you know, just taking back steps and getting in that proper posture for a long step pass over and over again. And by the time we get to teaching the technique, everybody's already gone through that movement, right? So I call this initial initial portion of the class the movement vocabulary, right? It's like almost like you're mm -hmm. trying to teach somebody a foreign language, which is a long sentence in a foreign language, which is to people who haven't done jujitsu and judo for a long time, this is a foreign language, right? And we're not even giving them the vocabulary and we're trying them to get them to say sentences, right? It's a difficult right. task. Right. But if we can introduce them to the movement vocabulary first during the warm-ups, it makes our job much easier. And we do get to the part where you're trying to communicate the technique itself. And for people at home who don't know, uh, Helene does speak multiple languages. <laughs> Born in India, raised in Saudi Arabia, but kind of came here for college. Right, so I've been here uh, for college primarily and then now working in the Boston area, yeah. yeah. So you speak from experience on multiple <laughs> levels. <laughs> uh, that's true, learning a foreign language can be hard. Uh, but yeah, there's definitely analogies, right? With with languages, it's just words. But in Jiu-Jitsu and Judo and wrestling, we are trying to say words with our body, right? It's, it's right. physical words. And it's just as important for us to practice the articulation of those words if you're going to be clear, right, in our techniques. Yeah, that's a great point. I never thought about it like that. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So after you get the movement, um, where do you go from there? So, you know, of course, there's a bigger plan in place, right? Like uh, if you're trying to teach escapes, um, you know, from side control bottom, you want to make sure people are able to do a, a bridge correctly where... They're bridging off the right portions. They're bridging at an angle. Uh, they understand how to get their hips up. They understand how to use their hips to shrimp away to create space. So yeah, so basically, there's a bigger picture in place where that's dictating what goes into the lesson, right? Hopefully, over a course of let's say 25 classes, we have covered top, bottom, standing, whatever it is. On a particular day, we might be focusing on an escape. And if you're doing psychedelic escapes, we introduce the movements for those in the warm-up section, get people doing that correctly, getting them bridging correctly, shrimping correctly, and uh, you know using their frames correctly. And finally, when we show them the full psychedelic escape, it, it, it's easier, and they understand it. They get it, right? They feel like, oh, I'm able to do this, and things make sense. So from my experience learning from you, I feel like you address the movements that you're going to teach with the technique, and then we go through the technique, and then you bring it about full circle to give more understanding conceptually of the flow. 
of what you just created. Absolutely, and uh, one of the things you know are that our instructor Travis is uh, is, a, is trying to get us to think on our own and think in terms of um, you know the bigger picture. So sometimes we in our fundamentals class we work through sequences where it's not just we're not just focused on this moment in time, but we're also trying to understand how what happened before this that put us here. Right. And once we're here, where we're gonna where are we gonna go from here? Right. Many times in jujitsu, we find ourselves stopping and thinking what to do next. Yeah, yeah. And one of the things that I think uh, Travis did phenomenally is is he created sequences that you know you practice that enough times you understand how you ended up in this situation, and not only that, you know how this thing should unfold for you, for it to get better for you. Yeah, yeah. I, I really like that about you know. You know the Fuji Gym, where they have a beginning and end, is like connecting the dots Correct. in between, and that's uh, that's uh, that's all Travis, man. He's yeah. spent a lot of time designing that for the students. Uh, thank yeah. you, Travis. I appreciate it. Man. <laughs> yeah. um, so, if we we're talking in terms of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu guys uh, who are looking at Judo, and then maybe Judo guys who are looking into Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, like what could each learn from the other or benefit from uh, in those in those different styles. That is a very good question. So I, like I said, I did jujitsu for seven years straight before I uh, moved to the Pedro's Academy. In fact, actually, once I moved from the upstate New York, which is where I had my majority of my jujitsu training, I trained at Boston BJJ. I forgot to give them a shout out. I was there for a year, and in 2016, I basically moved to. Pedro's uh, judo and Travis's uh, jiu-jitsu so yeah so my primary base was in understanding Brazilian jiu-jitsu that was my focus and then I got into judo and I feel there are many people in in this community especially in the Boston area who uh, who want to who are interested in learning the stand-up game Uh, but they might come to for example one of our evening black belt class which seems very intimidating Right, you might be a purple belt, a blue belt, purple belt, a brown belt in jujitsu, but you come and watch a, a black belt class where it's the U.S. Olympic team, you in know, judo. That, that's getting ready for the Tokyo twenty twenty Olympics, and you watch them spar, and you, it, it is intimidating, right? And of course, I think even before I came to judo, there's a lot of misconceptions and fear uh, that that judo is going to give them a lot of injuries. And my experience has been that uh, we fear what we don't understand, right? right? It's the same thing as the whole leg lock revolution. Right, uh, right. People like, and I say this from a, from a place of I have not yet mastered the leg locks, but there's a lot of fear. Sometimes, you know, people put, just put me in those positions and I would tap out because I didn't know what was happening, right? Of course, training with Travis has made that better. Uh, but still a long way to go. So when you don't understand something, there's uh, fear of injuries and there's just fear surrounding the whole thing. But there's a way to master it so that you're in control of that chaos, right? And um, so my experience has been that you're just as likely or uh, or less likely to get injured training BJJ or Judo, right? We train intelligently. We don't go crazy when we're training Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Uh, it's the same in Judo. Uh, and if you, especially if you're a beginner, you know it's not like you're gonna get paired up with a black belt who's just gonna beat you down for right. <laughs> x number of rounds. Yeah, so tr- I guess just trust the process, right? There's an intelligent way to train. These people are training for 2020 Olympics. They're not gonna hurt themselves. They need to be healthy right. so that they can compete from one competition to the next to the next of the worlds. So. If people fear getting injured, I think it's a little bit because they're looking at it as an outsider. But having lived and trained at the Pedro's Judo Center for the past three years, it's not very different than training BJJ. And of course, if you're under intelligent instructors, they know when to have you do throws on the mats, and they know when you're ready to actually do throws on the tatami, and you know, of course, the smaller differences. Yeah, and uh, I can speak to some understanding with that, like having trained with you guys for the past few months. You know, being a white belt in judo, you know, now a yellow belt, but, you know, being in a room of Olympic-level athletes and going through that process of of being, uh, you know, intimidated and thrown uh, frequently, you know, and uh, they do take care of you in there. They're not out to hurt each other or hurt you, you know, or hurt themselves, 
they're there to train and get better. And uh, what, one of the things I really liked about that environment was how many people were there to try to help me better understand what was going on so that I could get better, Yes. you know, so I could evolve and uh, learn judo, you yes. know. Yes, and, and, and now that you brought this up, and, and perhaps I could, I could speak to this more than other people because I was a hardcore guard-pulling Brazilian <laughs> jiu-jitsu guy. <laughs> Even though I wrestled, you know, that was not my strength. Um, and I, so, you know, as pure jiu-jitsu guy going to judo to try to learn judo, uh, one thing I would say is this. Uh, we do have occasionally students from the community that have done BJJ for a while that's come in for a little bit, and they consider themselves that, you know what, I, I'm going to join the novice class because that seems more my speed, right? And the novice class is, but if they're already like a, a competitor and a brown belt and a purple belt in BJJ, that might be a little slower for them, but they're afraid to jump to the black belt class right. where it looks intimidating. Right. Um, yeah, man, it's, it's hard for me to describe what to say. Since I've been training for three years, I would suggest this. At some point, you're going to have to go through a stage of uh, maybe the white belt stage. When a white belt comes to train Berzon Jiu-Jitsu, it is a scary place for them, right? It's a scary place. They're not in control. They're getting mounted. They're getting, if they engage in sparring, they're probably not submitting anybody. They are unable to escape. They're tapping over and over again. And for the first few months, to be honest, they might not even know if they're ever going to get to that place where they can defend themselves and submit people. <laughs> so they have to take that leap of faith and go through that process until things click in place. And until things click in place, they're in a place of uncertainty. Right. Right? It wasn't like everything was guaranteed to them, but they had to take that leap of faith with the people that they trusted and over time those things got a rest if they if they said you know what I'm gonna come back when I feel 100% comfortable when I can escape every position and when I can tap people that's the only time I'm gonna start Brazilian <laughs> Jiu Jitsu they would have never started right so maybe for people who are advanced in BJJ who want to learn Jiu Jitsu uh, uh, Judo they're gonna have to go through that little phase that our white belts have to go through in order to make it in BJJ, right? If they want to want to learn judo, they want to learn stand up. If there are people that you trust, you you join them, you get on this journey. Nothing is guaranteed, right, in life, but you know, you you hang in with them, especially if they're people that you trust, you're going to get there. You're going to be, you know, it's going to take some time. But you're going to get to that place just like our white belts slowly start to catch on and then they get to the next level and they eventually get to a blue belt. Right. Yeah. Now, one of the black belts in the room at judo, he told me, he's like, you know, one of the first things he said was like, everybody wants to learn how to throw people, but nobody wants to get thrown. <laughs> that's, uh, that's the goal. Yeah, it's part of the process. I mean, just like uh, the philosophy of... Uh, you know, being tapped out 10,000 times on your way to black belt. So, uh, you know, all these different ways to be tapped out, you know, so you can learn those submissions through the process of other people submitting you or throwing you. You know, my wrestling coach, he said, he's like, Chris, he's like, if you ever want to be a good thrower, you have to keep trying to throw people. He's like, if, if, if you just defend, he said, you're going to see a lot of good throwers, but you'll never be one. I'm like, right. dang. I was right. like, you're so right, coach. You right. know, I stopped trying to throw people because I, I got countered, countered so often. I was like going in defense mode. And uh, he's so right. You know, I have to, you know, accept that, you know, I, it's part of the learning process. I'm going to keep trying to throw until I can figure it out and then keep from getting countered until I can actually start throwing and getting better at it. It's just uh, that room particularly is... It, an extreme example of a lot more challenging of a room, you know, to try to throw brown and black belts is, is extremely difficult. But, right. uh, you know, like you said. And, and and hats off to you, man. Like, think about this. You came into the judo class. How much do you weigh? 135. 135. You are the lightest person in the room. <laughs> and you have no judo knowledge. And you're going against brown belts and black belts who are, you know, bigger than you faster than you they know more judo than you right like this it doesn't get more intimidating than that 
right? But that is the place that we start most of the times. And, and, and we have to go through that phase in order to kind of grow. And, and, and to that, the same in, ju- in jiu-jitsu, right? How many 135 pounders are there in jiu-jitsu? Many times you're going against people who are bigger than you. Right. And, and that's why this morning when we were getting coffee, I was asking you, you know, I was getting coffee, and then I said, Chris, what was it like actually going against people your same size? <laughs> <laughs> Phenomenal. <laughs> it, it, it seemed like you squished them, man. You had, like, uh, really good takedown defenses, your defense on top, you didn't get swept, all of those things. So there's, I guess there's benefits, man. Uh, I will say, working with you guys in judo for the past few months has uh, elevated my side control game. You know, because of the the nature of pinning people in judo, right? Where I felt I feel like I've learned uh, a lot stronger element of control there to lock people down before going to the submissions. Like wrestling, it was good, but there was no gi in wrestling. But in judo, there's a gi, yeah. And you really emphasize those pins, and uh, I mean, and it the pins was, are longer, right? In wrestling, you don't have yeah. to pin for you know uh, twenty seconds, right? Ten seconds, right? Right? Yeah. So yeah. you really gotta. Make sure you really gotta pin them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you gotta mousetrap them, man. For, yeah, for real. <laughs> oh man, you did phenomenally yesterday on top. It was it was amazing to watch, and and you were following it like. And I remember at one time in your, I think it was your finals where you passed the guy's guard. You had your hands in the paper cutter position, and he was defending, and he was almost recovered. And he was blocking your paper cutter hand, right? Their hand mm-hmm. that's going across mm-hmm. the neck. Mm-hmm. And Travis was like, knee on belly, right? Like from the <laughs> yeah. side, like threatening the knee on belly. And uh, that, that dichotomy of you, like threatening the knee on belly, where he didn't want to give that up. Yeah. And he couldn't defend his neck at the same time. Right. But like just that little, like I could see Travis coaching you and, yeah. and that dichotomy, eventually you sunk that choke in. Yeah. And uh, it was phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah, he's got a great coaching voice, man. You can pick it out of the audience really <laughs> easy. Amazing. So, um, with all that, man, is there anything that you want to say to the audience? Anybody out there listening uh, today? That is a good point. Um, yeah, man. If, if 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 there's anybody in the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu community that is listening, then I would say definitely come to the Pedro's Judo Center. And uh, as far as the current schedule. If you're already a higher belt in BJJ, try and join the Tuesday, Thursday class. We have an hour of instruction and then half an hour of sparring, right? Monday and Wednesdays is all sparring. So that's a good place for somebody who has a higher belt to start. It might look a little intimidating, but man, you just stay in that system for a little bit. You're going to get better. There is no way around it. Definitely. Um, Yeah, just I would say that to anybody who does... BJJ and at the same time anybody who does judo I would highly recommend that they uh, cross train with BJJ and of course we have the benefit at Pedro's Juno Center of having Travis coach many times he's coaching both judo and jiu-jitsu so people who are at the intersection of these sports can see of course if you think of judo as one circle and Brazilian jiu-jitsu as another circle as overlapping circles there is an area in the middle that is common to both sports um, are certain positions, I would say. And people who have been doing both can see what those overlapping areas are that can really, really take your game to the next level. For example, even at the international level matches, you will see a person get a throw and they end up on the ground and the guy traps their leg in half guard. And you know that's not considered a pin until you remove your leg and get to a clean side control or a mount. But many times, the person just stops the match there, assumes that there's nothing they can do to attain victory. But if they pay attention to the BJJ community, right, even though you might be a judo player, there's been technology developed over the past, I don't know, 50, 60, 70 years of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu to deal with that position. Mm -hmm. You'll be giving yourself a a technological upgrade, basically, by paying attention to the half-guard position as it has developed in the BJJ community. Right. And I guarantee you, you get in a judo, you throw somebody for a wazari, they try to trap your leg, you're going to pass their guard, you're going to pin them, and that's the end of the match. Right. So, yeah, anybody who does judo who's listening, I would say, yeah, come by, train BJJ with us, and, uh, and, and you know, pay attention to specific positions like half guard, 
that can really uh, you know lead you lead you to victories in judo. Yeah, elevate your game. Yeah. Um, what about people who aren't around the Massachusetts area and are starting out in the grappling martial arts to begin with? I mean, you've done it three times now in three different areas. Right. What advice would you have for someone kind of newly starting out? Man, you have some tough questions on this podcast for me. <laughs> I thought we were going to be here just for chit-chat. <laughs> uh, I would say, I would say, I guess, two things. And maybe I'll add a third thing in the end. Uh, number one, I remember, uh, I forget the name of the coach. It might have been Chris Howder, who's one of the dirty dozen of the first black belts in, um, in the United States, who had this saying. And uh, I've taken that to heart. It says, environment is stronger than will. The environment always wins. Wow. And if you think, he says, that you're gonna get, your, get yourself in an environment that does not, is not as high, and you say, you know what, I'm gonna be different, I'm gonna will through this, I'm gonna make this happen, over time, you lose. The environment wins. So our strategy, somebody who's starting in this, number one is to try and find an environment that's gonna, you know, <laughs> you're not relying on your willpower, right? right. Um, if you can find a way to put yourself in an environment uh, that's gonna demand more of you regardless of whether you like it or not, that's the kind of place you wanna put yourself in. So right off the bat, you'll give yourself a head start if you join a place um, that is a standout environment. For example, Pedro's Judo Center, if you have the, uh, you know, if you're fortunate enough to live close by, when you sign up at the Judo program, uh, you know, with, with Jimmy Pedro and Travis Stevens, you're surrounding yourself with Olymp multiple time Olympics medalists and bronze medalists and gold medalists. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. That environment is a different environment yeah. than a general club environment. Just by putting yourself there day in and day out, that environment is going to win it's going to make you better right as opposed to you thinking i'm just gonna will my way through this this art so that's i would say first find an environment that is going to lift you up uh, and demand more of you whether you feel like it or not on a day-to-day -day basis second thing i would say is uh, the learning process personally whether you're teaching or trying to learn something new i remember reading this in, in a bruce lee's book which is which is excellent uh, he had this formula, not just for martial arts, but for dancing. And it's a three-step formula. He says, number one, synchronize yourself. Number two, synchronize yourself with the partner. Number three, synchronize yourself and your partner with music, right? If it's dancing. <laughs> that's good. If it's dancing, that's the process. Don't try and grab a partner and try to dance to the beat. You're going to fail every single time, especially if you're trying to learn this, right? And same thing in martial arts. Like, so in his, this is actually from his, uh, one of his letters that he wrote to his friend. So synchronize yourself as far as BJJ and Judo means, trying to really look at that technique and say, what are the core movements that make up this technique? And could I just do these on my own independently by myself, no partner needed? And actually, Jigoro Kano called this Tenduku Renshu in, in Japanese. It's solo training. It's not even partner training. And he identified, the founder of Judo identified this as a key place of growth because it's so fundamental. Is that where some of the kata stuff comes from? Uh, potentially, right? Uh, katas, a lot of Judo katas have partners, but I think he was just talking about solo practice, right? You could do um, Seonagi practice with a band and just sharpen and refine your ability to, and your footwork to move in and out, right? You don't need a partner for that. You could do wall drills, right? And uh, things of that nature. So it's solo practice, synchronize yourself. And that is kind of the goal, a little bit of the solo movements or the movement vocabulary we do in the beginning of class without even engaging you with a partner. Is let's see if we can focus on getting this movement down, right? So that's synchronize yourself. Once you get that, you try to do it against a non-resisting opponent who's cooperating with you, right? We see this in judo all the time where we're right. drilling techniques where a partner's cooperating. And then the third one is you train with a partner with resistance, right? They're giving you a little bit of a realistic reaction so you can 
you know, make sure that your things are things are doing your hands and legs and posture is doing what it's supposed to do. So yeah, so if, if for the learning perspective, somebody who's starting out, know that there are those levels of learning, and if you try to jump levels, you're setting yourself up for failing, hmm. right? Whether wrestling, judo, or jujitsu, identify the key components, see if there's things you could do by yourself. Do that. Do those because it'll make the next step easier when you do it with a partner. And when you do it with a partner, that's easy. You can step it up and add resistance, right? That's universal kind of learning process. And I think uh, somebody who's starting out could potentially benefit from knowing that. Um, finally, the third thing I would say is uh, something that I heard that's potentially useful for people who are starting out in combat sports. I heard this thing called the four C's formula. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I've shared this with you uh, with you before. It's called, um, it's by a guy named Dan Sullivan who's a, a coach for some of the best entrepreneurs in the world. And uh, he says, you know, when he talks to some of his friends many times, he's like, hey man, you said you're gonna do this, you know, how come, how come you haven't done it yet? And uh, I said, well, you know, I, I don't have the, the confidence to do it yet, so I'm gonna do it when I have the confidence. And he says, why, why, why don't you have the confidence? And he says, well, I'm not, I'm not competent enough, you know, let me, let me work on this, let me get good first and then I'm gonna do it. And then Dan Slovin responds and says, well, you you are actually, those are the third and the fourth C's of the four C's formula. You're talking about competence and confidence. You already jumped two steps. And he says the first two steps are commitment and courage. And he says, here's what it is. You commit to something that is valuable and that you love and that you know you want to commit yourself to. And then you go through a period of courage where the mm. results are not guaranteed, right? Like when you join jujitsu. That's like that leap of faith. You that leap about. of faith. So we have to go, there's no other way around this phase of courage. We have to go through it. Whether you're, you know, a, a brown belt in BJJ who wants to learn judo, and wants it in a way that the result is guaranteed without any risk, it's not gonna happen. They're gonna have to join in and they're gonna have to go through this. You have to commit, go through a period of courage, just like our white belts have to do in BJJ. And then over a period of time of going through that courage, they're gonna develop some competence. And once they develop some competence, they get confidence, right? And then we up our commitment level and go through another phase of courage that develops additional competence and then gives us more confidence. And we just keep side. There's never a time in your life that you don't have to go through that courage phase. And if you don't have to go through that phase, he says, chances are you're not growing. So yeah, I guess those three things to uh, perhaps somebody who's starting out, find an environment that's gonna lift you up. Don't rely on your willpower. Understand the learning process, where you know, take it one step at a time. And then understand that if you're going for something important, you're gonna to have to commit yourself and there's no way around that courage phase. You actually have to just, you know, bite that bullet. And you know, if you're with people, people that you trust, that's easier. Find people that you trust in an environment that you trust and go through that courage phase and you will find more commitment and confidence at the end of it. And I think that's phenomenal advice, Helene. And uh, something I wanna to add to the courage part I heard somebody talking about courage, and uh, they brought up Superman. And uh, they said, you know what? Superman is not courageous. And I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? (laughs) He fights villains, you know what I mean? Like, you know, he takes on insurmountable objects, you know, obstacles. And they're like, look, Superman is indestructible. It does not take courage to face insurmountable (laughs) obstacles being indestructible. They're like, they went on to say that courage only exists when fear exists. And it's the process of you overcoming that fear that makes you courageous. Absolutely. I was like, wow. <laughs> yeah, that is, that is a phenomenal way to look at it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah, Superman is no longer my idol. <laughs> <laughs> um, but cool. All right, anybody at home um, 
who wants to encourage Halim to write a book about this stuff? Because I think he should. Oh, uh, geez. <laughs> How can we uh, get in contact with you, Halim? How can we, you know, if anybody wants to ask you questions about some of the things you talked about or touch base with you? Uh, my Instagram page, Halim.Sayed, and also my Facebook page are pro- would probably be still the, the best places to get a hold of me. Okay. And uh, I would love to chat with, uh, with anybody, especially if there's anybody in the community who wants to, who is interested in learning judo um, at the Pedro's or learn about that about that process please do get in touch and uh, yeah same thing with judo people wanting to learn BJJ yeah I'd be happy to share you know I, I have had I've been blessed with a unique spot here with having access to Jimmy Pedro and Travis Stevens and being interested in both BJJ and judo and um, and I'm sure there are a lot more people out there who are, who are kind of interested in both those arts I'd be happy to connect with them and, and you know to learn more yeah absolutely and everybody at home Halim's a, a a scientist of the art of the grappling world man legitimately he studies it all the time he sends me videos and different things man it's, it's phenomenal you know if you get the opportunity to uh, message him definitely do it um, and for us at Grappling Real we have Facebook page Instagram it's uh, at Grappling Real R-E-A-L and uh, you can email me directly grapplingreal at gmail.com I would love to hear from you um, let me know how we're doing and uh, before we sign off I do have to say acknowledge and say thank you to uh, a ton of friends yeah absolutely uh, my apologies if I, if I leave you out but I want to start with of course my my coaches uh, at RIT Wrestling and moving on to my coaches at Synthesis BJJ in upstate New York in Rochester um, Casey Lamp Colin Schrader uh, Jason Goldwasser and um, the year that I spent at Boston BJJ with Roberto Maya and, and the Black Bulls there. And more recently, uh, you know, with my idols, uh, Jimmy Pedro and Travis Stevens. Every day uh, that I have access to them is a blessing and I don't take that for granted. So right. many, many thank you to these people who have dedicated their time and attention to help us all get better, you know. Uh, right, so. Yeah. So big, big acknowledgement and props to these individuals who, who basically drive this whole thing, who yeah. energize us. Yes, they do. Yeah. And they have, uh, you know, videos on BJJ fanatics and, and judo fanatics also, right? That is right. People who uh, are familiar with BJJ fanatics and, you know, maybe we can add a fourth point to people who are starting out if they're in the middle of nowhere who want access to, uh, you know, accurate and useful information from champions BJJ Fanatics is doing a phenomenal job at bottling that information up right. from uh, some of the best people in the world yeah definitely sure. use that as a resource and yeah and, and thanks to all my uh, training partners in uh, in judo and BJJ who you know who, who lay a beating on me and, 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 and make me better every day <laughs> to create that environment <laughs> <laughs> seriously cool well anybody who likes this in this episode please share it and uh, you know Feel free to email me or leave some comments below. We love you guys. And thank you, Halim. All right, thank you so much, Chris. All right, brother. See you guys.